Okay, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, but you would, you would agree still probably that it's knowledge that people can ascertain about God, about who he is, about the way he, the way he is as well. So his being and uh, his nature, I would argue they're probably different. So if you were to guess at a definition for special revelation, what might it be? And don't look at the thing I've given you. Only for believers. Anyone else? Any specific? Like the Bible. Specific. Okay. Yeah. So um, the longer definition that I like to use, very handy book I would say is Stanley Grin's um, Pocket Dictionary of Theological Terms. That has been a helpmate for many years, ever since I had systematic theology in college. A lot of great stuff in there. But his full definition of uh, revelation that includes special revelation is it refers both to the process by which God discloses the divine nature and the mystery of divine will and purpose to human beings and to the corpus of truth disclosed. So some theologians maintain that revelation consists of both God's activity in salvation history through word and deed, culminating in Jesus, who mediates and fulfills God's self-revelation, and the ongoing activity of God to move people to yield to, accept, and personally appropriate that reality. Then general revelation maintains that God's existence and particular attributes can be ascertained through an innate sense of God's reality, and conscience, as well as through the observation of the universe and history. And so special revelation, then, is it refers to the more specific divine self-disclosure to and through certain persons that brings about human salvation. So that is the biggest distinction, despite all of the peculiarities that are in a specific revelation, is that general revelation can only condemn specific revelation can save. So, and by special revelation, I mean specifically that God, God's manifestation of himself to particular persons at definite times and places, enabling those persons to enter into a redemptive relationship with him. So, people can know and have fellowship with him only via special revelation. Uh, the, the Greek term, the Hebrew and Greek terms that both correspond to reveal in English, gala and apocalypto, they both express the idea of uncovering something that was concealed. So uh, if you think about like a bride on her wedding day, traditionally her vase would be veiled. And then as she's presented to your husband, it is unveiled. She has revealed her face. Um, they use this terminology a lot in scripture. Um, God has veiled his presence um, justly, and it will one day be um, unveiled to us. Um, Paul uses the language of, with unveiled face, we will we'll see the glory of God. Um, but the simplest version of describing that is, it is knowable now. Um, this is knowledge that can be received unto salvation. So I'm kind of leading the witness a bit, but... Why 
is special revelation necessary? Any thoughts? What would you assume the reason it isn't necessary? Revelation it can show us how to to get salvation. Without it, we just don't know. What yeah. To do. Good. Any additions or other comments? There would be no salvation without it. Yes. Yes. So, if I were to state it as simply as possible, like one sentence, like special revelation is necessary. Because we have lost the relationship with God that existed prior to the fall of man. So let's try to think back and use some holy imagination as best we can to imagine what it would have been like to have participated uh, in the relationships in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we have the fullest revelation the direct presence of God, that is what was being enjoyed by Adam and Eve in the garden. So they existed in perfect, right relationship, and they had fellowship with God. All of that was lost with the fall. So then, now that they were turned away from him in rebellion... Um, their understanding of spiritual things uh, had become obscured. Um, this was not an, a, a passive thing wherein uh, they were in a relationship with God and then now they're just neglecting that relationship. This is the relationship no longer exists the way that it did. Um, it was severed completely and the only way uh, to get back to there was it needed to be rebuilt, something they could not do. Um, and this rebuilding of the relationship required more information. So to this point, Adam and Eve knew some things about God, and they didn't know some other things, because there was not yet a need for them to know them, because they were not yet in wrong relationship with God. So for the conditions of uh, fellowship to be met for them again, um, as it was with Adam and Eve and is with us, it requires more information than was on display before the fall. Um, sin entered the human race, so severing the ties, the relationship, but it also then required God to speak on matters that were of no concern in the garden. Matters like God did not re need to reveal knowledge or um, uh, revelation about sin, about guilt, about the depravity of man that separates us from him, as well as there was no need for revelation about a means of atonement or of redemption or of reconciliation. But after that point, it needed to be provided. Now, the question would come then, since the revelation is needed, how do we receive it? Uh, how does it exist uh, in the world? Um, I would contend uh, that there are a couple of different modes. 
Um, this is not original to me, but I'll kind of break them down in these three broad categories. Um, uh, beyond, uh, well, I'll just put it this way. Um, the way I've been, have it presented to me before is that um, the, th the three broadest modes are, the first one is historical events. So this is um, ridiculously broad of a category. Um, this could include all of human history um, in some theologians' minds. Um, I would say it doesn't include necessarily all of human history for the purpose of salvation. That is the purpose of uh, why we have Scripture has come about. Um, we don't need to know exhaustively the, the result, uh, everything in history that's occurred. We do need to know some very specific things that have occurred uh, by the guiding hand of God to accomplish these things. So God has been working in a concrete way um, historically in the world that we know. And the scripture emphasizes a number of these events. Um, what are some historical events that you might recognize as significant to um, the salvation of mankind as recorded in Scripture. Just shout them out, as many as you can think. The cross. The cross is probably the chief, the chief one. John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist's ministry um, foretelling the Messiah's coming. Preaching a baptism of repentance and faith. Um, like Noah's Ark and stuff like that. Yeah, Noah's Ark. So um, early, early examples of faith in God, taking him at his word, um, and avoiding judgment because of it. Okay, so creation in the fall. Um, yeah, those are events that are part of it. I'm thinking after that, those two points, really. Sure. Uh, are we just talking about historical events that are specifically in Scripture? For now, yes. Okay. Yeah. David. Formation of a kingdom. Yeah, so the formation of a kingdom um, through which uh, we, we know that God would ultimately bring a Messiah to rule a spiritual kingdom. We could probably do this all night. I'm going to make you get some more out of me. It's only 710. Church. Okay, so the, the creation of the church. So we have the building of that spiritual kingdom. The what? The temple. Yeah, so his cleansing of the temple, a fulfilling prophecy about um, that the Messiah would have zeal for the house of God and that he would come to purify. He would be like a, um, a refiner's fire to the house of Israel. Leading the people out of Egypt. Leading the people out of Egypt, that's the other big one. If I were to pick two, I would pick the cross and then that. Um, that might be the most significant event in the history of Israel, where God miraculously redeems the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt through the plagues and then through traversing uh, the Red Sea being parted. Um, that is uh, why they still celebrate the Passover to this day. Um, any other big ones in there I want to get to that we want to get to? Birth of Christ. Okay, birth of Christ. So, yeah, fulfillment of prophecy that the Messiah would come in a very specific way to fulfill the law and the requirements for the atonement. 
His resurrection. His resurrection, yeah. The ascension. The sacrifice. Yeah. So yeah, the the provision of a of a sacrificial lamb in the place of the son of the faithful man Abraham. Those are big time ones. Um, this is only in regard to um, the the specific things in Scripture. Um, as a broader point, I would say that revelation through historical events about who God is. Um, and what he's done could be ascertained from historical events that are not portrayed in Scripture. Um, a, a simple case for this would be, we don't have every single thing that Jesus ever said, but we do have enough of what he said to be saved. John even makes this editorial note explicitly. There were many more signs that he did, but for those who are, that are written in this book, is that uh, you might have life to the full. Um, that is a, 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 the interesting part about this is normally if we're in a Christian um, worldview, I'll, I'll just use a broad blanket term for that. If we've grown up in the church in some way, we accept that the Bible is a special revelation of God. Um, but scripture does give us room to, to understand at least that there were revelations about God that are not recorded in Scripture, not because they wouldn't be um, necessarily um, effective for salvation, but God didn't feel the need to have them preserved in his word to this day. So you're not really tied down to, well, all the other things that Jesus said during his time on earth weren't revelation, but the, what we have in the Gospels is. Um, that's a difficult concept to kind of think about because if you state it improperly, It'll flirt with, well, revelation is not done with, and the canon of Scripture is not complete, which I would reject roundly. Um, but uh, the second, uh, another mode uh, of revelation that we see in a broad category is divine speech. So that is a very broad category. Um, that's any ver uh, verbiage that is attributed to God in some way. So um, he doesn't just communicate through acts the way that we have recounted many already, um, but he says things specifically at specific times as well. And I'm including in the umbrella of divine speech a couple of different um, things. So we have audible speech that takes place from God. So like think like in Genesis 12, he's talking to Abraham. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, He's not uh, mediated that God has spoken to Abraham in some way there. Or we have him communicating through dreams, as in Daniel 2, Daniel 4, and 7, I believe. Um, we also have visions, like that of my favorite Isaiah 6 and Acts 10, um, or even uh, the appearing of Jesus there to Paul where God is communicating things through some spectacular means or things are being said, um, but they're not always exactly the voice of God voicing them. Um, and so he also speaks then through the prophets. So it is a common refrain for us to read in Scripture, thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord, depending on how KJV you're feeling today, or the word of the Lord came to me. Um, that's a common refrain during Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, these are, are means that God has used um, 
to condescend to us. So if I use that phrase, condescend, to us, that doesn't sound very nice because in our vernacular, condescension um, implies like some arrogance. It's, I'm being talked down to. Um, in the case of God, well, I'll put it this way. We sing the word condescended every once in a while when we sing, come behold the wondrous mystery. Um, look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. He removed himself from a higher position to a lower position so that we might could know things about God unto salvation. And so ultimately, if you ever do any further reading on this, it can become very technical where you have pages and pages and pages of people talking about, is it right to attribute to God uh, anthropic language? So human ways of communicating. Um, Is that even possible? We contend that it definitely is possible. And we see this most chiefly in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, God is so committed to communicating with humankind that he takes on human flesh um, to communicate who he is, what he's like, and to save a people for himself. So this is the positive sense of condescension. He's speaking to us in terms we can understand. So even beyond that, if we look at the nature of the scriptures, um, some criticism comes to the Bible because it contains idioms, um, inexact measurements to our standards of certain things, as uh, well as uh, different metaphors that we're not privy to, because it was given in a time to a people that had a certain language different than ours. They had their own cultural idioms, had their own cultural sayings, had their own uh, measurement systems and, and that nature. Does that mean then that they're incorrect in any way. No, we just need to do more research to understand what's actually being communicated. Um, And so this is part of that condescension. God doesn't just give us information. He didn't plop a book out of heaven that has a perfect grammar and whatever context you want to pretend is perfect grammar. Um, He gives it to us in language we can understand. Um, And as a side note, This is why there are so many translations of the Bible. Uh, Even our English language. Let's go to the youth group, basically, and try to communicate with them. It's like we don't speak the same English sometimes, because we don't. Um, But in a broader context, that is what God is doing through these interactions. He is speaking to us through means we can understand. Um, And I... I've been kind of implying this most of the time, but I do want to discuss this um, as a group in some fashion. Uh, When you study the the concepts of special revelation, ultimately you'll get people in camps discussing, is revelation propositional, meaning primarily about true statements, or is it personal? Um... What are some potential pitfalls that you might see if um, theology, um, revelation, understanding of God is mainly about true things? Um, Any thoughts on that? Can you explain what you mean by proposition? 
Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I was thinking about how might I, I, how might I describe this analogy um, or this concept. Is everyone familiar with who Shaquille O'Neal is? Okay. Shaquille O'Neal at peak playing size in Los Angeles was seven foot one and like 380 pounds. Do I know Shaquille O'Neal, what his size means because I know how tall he is and how heavy he is? What do I know about Shaquille O'Neal from that information? A few details. Yeah. I can probably assume a couple of things that um, he doesn't fit very well in anything. Um, he's probably pushing the limit of any elevator he's on with other people. But I don't really know um, from experience or any real uh, meaningful way um, what it's like to be around someone that big, much less have to try to keep him from scoring a basket. Now, if I knew that he's seven foot one and 380 pounds, and I had the displeasure of guarding him in a basketball game, my knowledge of Shaquille O'Neal would be vastly different of his power and his immensity. Um, I don't think any of us would necessarily disagree that the connection between information and knowledge, I'll use these phrases, mental assent and heart knowledge. I'll use those two. Um, that they can be uh, separated from one another and produce true knowledge of anything. Uh, an, easy, an easier example even is um, just in a relationship with any person. I can know information about Ashlyn. But unless I know that information from a more personal level, how well do I truly know her if I know details? Um, this is a complex thing to try to think about. It's how do we know God, about God, and know him personally? Um, this is the, the tension here. Um, I contend, uh, I doubt that I'll have much disagreement, that it is a both and when it comes to the revelation of God. We can uh, claim to know all, uh, we can claim to be personally involved with God all we like, but if we don't know anything about him, how well can we evaluate that? If I claim to be married to Ashlyn and in love with her and that she's my best friend and I know nothing about her, I think rightfully so, you would suspect me of not doing those things. Now, when it comes to God, then, when we're looking at revelation, specifically special revelation, we could still have knowledge of special revelation and not know him at all. So think, let's think of the Pharisees for a moment. 
They are a common example. They knew well the law to an extent. They also knew a bunch more that they made up. But they didn't know who God was because they had obscured him in their rebellion. They knew propositional truths about God, but they did not know him personally. And Jesus says this very clear. So how would you go about evaluating a, uh, what's the phrase I want to use here? How might you evaluate how well you know God personally? If I were to ask you that, how might you answer that question? Okay, so what he's, what he's done, his acts in your own life. Yeah. yeah, okay, so time spent. I really like the acts thing because I can refer back immediately to our discussion of special revelation not only being scripture. So special revelation leads people towards salvation. I received special revelation uh, many times from many sources. And it wasn't always simply from the preached word. Um, many times it was the application of it in conversations, the, the witnessing of people who were obedient to God and loved him in my own life. All of those things coalesced and were working on me for years before I repented and believed the gospel. And I don't know if you have, this is a just personal story, I guess, or just anecdote, so some information. The night that I got saved, I remembered a lot of those things. I remembered when my head pastor's wife, who was teaching Sunday school, I was giving her junk all the time. Like, I would uh, make faces at her when she's praying, when everybody's eyes are supposed to be closed. I would, um, anything that she said, um, I would try to make it sound weird by repeating it. Um, I would intentionally say w words that sounded like words she didn't like to get on her nerves so that she would begin to react to scold me, but then wouldn't be able to because I didn't say the word. Yeah, basically. And uh, I remembered that um, she won me over because she was gracious to me that like whole teaching semester. Um, I frustrated her to death, but she didn't reject me. Um, that was special revelation to me. I just didn't know it until my eyes were opened. Um, so this is the, the, the subjective part of special revelation. You can learn things about God that can contribute uh, to God's work in your life to come to faith that are outside the scripture. But the most important part of that is 
those experiences will never be devoid of something that isn't reiterated in his word. I would not come to faith in Christ from that experience per se, and it'd be special revelation if it says something explicitly contradictory to what we found in the written word. So, Scripture ought to be our guiding principle, our foundation, our core, um, the final say when we evaluate anything that we believe to be special revelation. This is why um, the historic creeds have always made it very clear that Scripture is the final infallible rule of faith and, and practice. So if, if we look at, I've included a quote, just the first quote there, um, from a, a modern English version of the 1689 Baptist Confession. I have a, f- a full section of the, the Holy Scriptures there, but um, th- this reads in the first section, the Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge faith, and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse, like we mentioned before. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. Therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in various ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church to preserve and propagate the truth better and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world. The Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. So they're borrowing largely from the language of Hebrews 1 which every time I think about Hebrews again, I think maybe that's my favorite book. Um, It's not Psalms, by the way. I'm just going to correct that on the record. I understand why you you might pigeonhole me into Psalms being my favorite book. but um, And the reason that this is so important and why I love it so much is how incredibly clear the author of Hebrews is about the process of revelation, the progression of revelation. So as we stated before in the garden, they had a certain level of revelation. They didn't have the level of revelation we have now. For a period of time, through God's mighty acts and works in the nation of Israel, he added more revelation about his plan to bring a Messiah to save a certain particular people, and then ultimately a, a united kingdom of many tribes and tongues and nations under one Messiah. And over that time, he spoke, revealed things about himself in various ways. Um, let me pull that up real quick because I want to read, read it out loud. Should have printed this. All right, Hebrews 1. Long ago... At many times and in many ways. So think back to the ways we were discussing that God has 
given information to his people. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Visions, dreams, direct uh, utterances. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his, I mean, the word of his power. Um, this is an unequivocal statement about the, the, the progression of revelation um, in regard to the way the church viewed this. Those things were leading to, were progressing toward the revelation, the chief expression of God's nature in the God-man, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is in the scriptures that we can gain knowledge of him, mental assent. And it is the means by which we come to saving faith. We now have a, a trustworthy record of God's acts and sayings in the past that culminate in the coming of Jesus Christ to refer back to for knowledge of God unto salvation. Um, if we want to get super theological about it, um, the real beauty of the incarnation is that not only um, does God become man to make God and man one again, God becomes man to make the knowledge of God known to man again. Um, that is part of the beauty and the mystery um, one of my favorite uh, phrases, and why I like this terminology, it's related to the whole writing of the hymn, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, and is largely about um, from the language of Paul in Ephesians. He talks over and over again about how the previous revelation um, was laying the seeds, uh, displaying this mystery that was yet to be revealed. And you have this phraseology that what was once concealed is now revealed. And that chief revelation, that thing that was hidden for ages uh, past, was that God would accomplish his atoning work, his um, reconciliatory work through the God-man, the Messiah, that would uh, come in human flesh. Um, let me pause there for a moment. Any, any questions, any thoughts that people are having right now? I've been talking for a while about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, what is the role of the Holy Spirit as it relates to special revelation? Yeah. So um, I could have made this clearer, but I'll do it in a broader sense. Um, Post-fall, God had to be the, the actor, the speaker, for revelation to occur. Um. We could not reach back up to God in our fallen state to grasp him. So not only does he come down, he empowers us, makes us alive again to understand the spiritual knowledge. So in our rebellion, we are dead in sin, as Ephesians says. We are dead, unable to do what pleases God. 
uh, which is part of the curse. Um, in Adam, all, all uh, uh, through the one man sinned, and uh, through that all sinned. Um, the federal head of Adam sinned. Our figurehead, the guy who represented us officially before God in the garden, sinned. And so now we were all born into sin. And not only that, um, in relationship to our own consciences as we grow, we not only are born into sin, but we also willfully sin. Um, common example, you don't have to teach a toddler how to lie. They just do it. Um, but yeah, to reverse that work, to, to change, we need a new nature. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit. A, a, something we would not have known if God had not revealed it to us through the prophets that um, he would one day give us a heart of flesh in place of a heart of stone, that he would write his commandments on our hearts. Um, and then with the coming of Jesus Christ um, and his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, that we would then be indwelt by him, drawn by him unto faith, um, changed by him, renewed, and uh, put in right relationship at that moment and are able to understand, grasp, and obey. But yeah. Any more thoughts, questions? Yes. Yes. So I can even use an example in my own life. I had times at different church events that now that I have the terminology, I could say, I thought I received special revelation, but that I was not regenerated. I did not have, I did not possess faith in those encounters. And so if I were to have to evaluate my own life back then, I would have to go to 1 John and look at my own life up against the standard there since we have a trustworthy revelation in the scriptures. My life was inconsistent with that. I did not hate the darkness that was in me. I loved it still. Um, I didn't cherish the grace of the Savior. Um, I had no discernible change in any thought, attitude, um, or a pattern of my life to say that, yes, I possessed faith at that time. And later, years later, after I believe I was saved, uh, I had similar issues I was fighting, and I went to First John, and I, I said, all right, well, am I saved based on these things? And uh, this is the, the subjective part about it, I suppose. But the scripture says that the Holy Spirit will, um, what's the phrase? I'm, I'm blanking on it now. Um, will confirm with your spirit. So I was able to ask myself, during those different times, struggling with different sins and things and dealing with, like, feelings of condemnation. Do I believe that Jesus, um, do I believe what the Scripture says about Jesus, the special revelation of God, that Jesus died for sinners, that I can be forgiven 
by placing my faith in him before the throne of God and not my own works? And uh, do I believe that after having that, ex- that experience that I believe to be salvation, that my de- debt was canceled then? And I was going through this process of trying to say, all right, this is not right. Um, I'm struggling with this thing. Um, I know what standard I ought to live to. Um, how do I determine if I have faith? This is basically an assurance thing. Um, how do I know that I'm saved right now, even though I'm struggling and I feel as if I'm not? Well, the difference between that instance and my previous instance was I cared what the scripture said. A desire I did not have before. I desired to move away further, repent again of sins, and cast myself again on the sacrifice of Christ. I had I was then desiring that God would renew like trying to remember the phraseology that David uses. It's basically like, get, when he doesn't confess his sin, which I was not doing at the time before this uh, moment, um, it's like life is being removed from his bones. It's this concept of you're like dying from the inside. After doing that and saying, God, forgive me. I confess I've done this wrong. Help me. I cast myself on the works of Jesus Christ. I felt relieved from then. Uh, something I didn't feel before. And uh, the only way I can discern whether or not that was of the Spirit is, does the Spirit, is he said to be- behave that way in special revelation? Yes. Um, hopefully that's not too convoluted and too long. I felt like that was not super clear, but I tried to get around. So you're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit as an intercession? Because in, yeah. in Hebrews 7.25, it says, uh, Consequently, he is able to save to the utter, uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yeah, that's, par- that's, that's part of the sanctification process. So I'd say that he would be doing that in that instance. Uh, I just didn't know that's what he was doing at the time. So um, he, comfort us, he comforts us in our affliction. Um, he always pushes us back to what we know about Christ in the gospel. Um, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, trying to conform us to the image of Christ. And was my interaction um, that I was talking about then where I went to the scriptures, was that consistent with desires to be like Christ? And was my previous interaction with similar things happening um, also consistent with wanting to be more like Christ? I'd have to say no to the first and yes to the second. And so it's definitely not pretty when we're confessing our habitual sins or dealing with them, dealing with our thorns and our flesh. But um, the Spirit comforted me in that time, um, granted me more uh, experiential knowledge of the grace of God in that time, um, fellowship with Him. I felt He was near to me. Um, and that nearness is consistent with how it's described in Scripture. So, yes. Can you go to Grinz's definition 
yeah. began with. What do you, I mean, obviously you don't know his brain, but what is specific and intentional about his last phrase? Why did he not chop his definition and why did you not chop it off to and through certain persons? Yeah. Why, what is the necessity of the concept of bringing about human salvation for it to be special revelation? Uh, say that one more time. Why does Grins or why would you include that brings about human salvation? Why would you not chop that definition? Special revelation refers to the specific self-disclosure to and through, divine self-disclosure to and through certain persons. Okay, yeah. So not only is it, not only is special revelation the information about God, but it is the means through which God saves people. special revelation then to those that are not saved. Cor correct. I would I would say it because the intent of special revelation is salvific. So the Bible would not be special revelation to a non-believer. Not in actuality. That that would that would be my guess right now. But Yeah, go. Oh. <laughs> I was wanting to jump in this conversation as well and ask you pretty much the same thing Jason was asking you is does it always bring about salvation and I, I mean no. I completely agree with you Sam um, and so how are we supposed to think of scripture then is scripture always special revelation and that's where I was kind of trying to go with with the question well was it always spiritual in that yeah. right uh, scripture is only special revelation when the power of the Holy Spirit is specifically working yeah. So I'd say in essence it is, but not in function. So it's not functioning salvifically for people, but it condemns um, unto hell ultimately. Um, so I would say in essence it is still special revelation, but it's not unto salvation, which is normally how I've seen it articulated differently. So um, though we have extra special revelation that informs the 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 wrathful judgments of God and the condemnation of rebellious sinners. Um, that's not necessary for them to be condemned. Because if it's, I, I don't know that I want to operate with grins on this one because yeah. if we inc make it a requirement that it brings about human salvation, then general re revelation can be rejected, but special revelation cannot, and it becomes very personal. Yeah, I know he's probably he's probably going to define general revelation differently. Um, but if we can reject general revelation, then special revelation should not be contingent upon our acceptance of that truth about God. Well, yeah, yeah, I would allow that. Um, to be honest, if I were to define it myself, I don't know what I would include there. Um, because I do view that, I don't know, I still think it's more important to emphasize the fact that special revelation um, is unto salvation. Um, it's not being, this information, this knowledge isn't being revealed to someone in a, in a personal way if they're not saved, if they don't become saved. So the, the knowledge comes uh, in a, where's the other part? Um, I'm trying to remember the language. Um, I, yeah, manifestation. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it's a it's a, a revelation to particular people that enables them to enter a redemptive relationship. That's how I, I would describe it. So I understand that it would still be special. I would, I don't know. That is a little confusing to try to articulate it that way. But I would still contend that functionally it's not special revelation to people that it does not save. Yeah. What about like Noah and his ark, right? So yeah. everybody had that special revelation when he was building the ark and saying, come on in, guys, because the rain's coming, right? Is that, am I getting this right? Well, he warned them. Uh, they were still rejected it. They had enough general revelation to know God existed. Um, was Noah was given. From God, right? Yeah. 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 Noah received information about this, and he's the one who heeds it, so he knows it on a uh, personal level. Both the both and of uh, propositional and personal. God gave him information, and he uh, believed it truthfully, and he was saved. If we want to be as broad as possible, recounting that story. Yes, okay. as long as that it accords with salvation, gotcha. because he avoided the judgment because for believing be God. General revelation for the rest of the population. Yeah, everyone received general revelation as a blanket that just exists with human experience. Um, not everyone received special revelation the same way Noah did, because if they did, they would have avoided the judgment. They would have jumped on, right? um, that's still not really clean, but I'll stand by that. And the fact of him giving, uh, giving, like a prophet who gives the information is given specific revelation. You know, Noah basically is giving the word of God, so he is giving specific to the people who he is talking to yeah. that they're ignoring. So there's got to be an interaction in the in God yeah. to make your special revelation to work, right? Like the yes. Holy Spirit or yes. God himself. Yes. So let's think about. Um, the nature of the way Christ describes those those who receive him and those who reject him. They're given the same information and one group is saved by that information and another group is not. So did they receive the knowledge is the question, not the mental assent. They understood the information um, in some sense because they received it as information. They did not receive it, receive it as propositional and personal information because they rejected it. Yeah. Anybody, anybody else? Got some good stuff. How I've been defining it, yeah. So you have the, uh, no one comes to the, to the Father. I mean, uh, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Um, we have the Spirit um, regenerating people unto saving faith. That is the effectual calling. They have been called by God to repent and believe the gospel, and they do. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just right in that. Yeah. So to just try to bring this all together um, for a non-believer scripture God's word 
is only propositional, not personal, because they're not experiencing the personal component if they're not saved. Yes. So it's not fully, actually, special revelation then, since there's no effectual calling, there's no spirits at work in their heart um, to make it that special revelation yeah. to bring about salvation. Yeah, this is why your uh, phraseology that I did not adopt um, for whatever reason is more helpful calling it supernatural theology um, where it is knowledge about God that can be ascertained truthfully by a person only through the means um, that God enacts. Um, it is not a, a natural theology. It's not a natural knowledge. Um, comes by the Spirit. Um, but the good thing is, I would, I would argue, then is that because we have at our disposal, especially in our day, so much special revelation available to us in the scriptures that God can be known truthfully. Everyone can know God um, a bit if you have been redeemed by him and given knowledge of his word, you can understand him truthfully. Not exhaustively, because we are finite, and not everything included about God is in Scripture, but everything that is necessary. So, not exhaustively, but authentically. Um, yeah. Any more thoughts on this? Because I like the questions... No? Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's implications based on how we interpret special revelation. Yep. Um, whether it's just like God's word alone is always special revelation and therefore everyone has access to it. Um, or if it's like a special calling of the Holy Spirit working through the words of Scripture. Um, because in that, the implications are whether not if special revelation always leads to salvation um, who it's given to um, is it given to some or is it given to all who just reads God's word um, so that brings into the classical debate between Arminianism versus Calvinism yep. um, and who can be saved yeah which I contend it's unknowable mm-hmm. um, who is receiving it ultimately as special revelation um, it's not for us to know or really to decide or even attempt to decide because we're also the ones um, who may be sovereignly chosen or rejected. Um, so work out your salvation with fear and trembling, basically. Um, um, man, you said something there. I was going to go on. Um, I don't recall what it was now. Brain's mush. If I were to restate what I'm understanding from this so that you can tell me if I'm understanding correctly, we can have propositional knowledge from all of these different modes. Yeah. 
but until we choose to do something with it, with it, until we choose to accept it and apply it to our lives, it does not become special revelation. It's still just head knowledge until we apply it. Yeah, I think the there was a phrase that I had written uh, that I appreciated the way it was stated. It was um, until I'm oh, sorry. Where was it? God, God can't. Um, people can't. Their lives can't change. The Bible will not change your life without the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Without God intervening first um, and giving you spiritual life, giving you a new nature, giving you new desires, um, it will not. Uh, it will not result in salvation uh, for you. And uh, that's up to his his choosing. Um, what was the phrase, man? Um, it was uh, something like they uh, m- uh, make it their own. Let's see here. Yes, so in the ongoing activity of God to move people to yield to, accept, and personally appropriate that reality. So that reality. Um Yeah. Initiating our passion. Yeah. So our our wills are bound to our sin nature before we are given the Holy Spirit indwelling us that gives us a new nature. There's a tension. Yeah. We definitely can choose, but we will not choose inconsistent with our own wills, with what we desire. Um, when we when we are given life through the Holy Spirit, we now have the ability and desire and desire to pursue God, obey Him. Um, that's part of the, the mystery that was once concealed, now revealed, is that Christ would be in us and that we would be a people zealous for good works. Um, yep. Running low on time. Any more questions, thoughts? This is fun. I like to do this more. <laughs> I keep coming back to what we read last week, uh, where it says, you know, that people can perceive God, you know, in His, in his nature and His power, can perceive Him, but they're suppressing the truth. Yeah. So that's saying the natural revelation is there, but they're suppressing it, right? Yeah. So then, with special revelation, um, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to parallel them a little bit, and maybe is that wrong to parallel? So well, they're congruent. Them? Um, just not equal. Um, what's the what's the phrase? There's a good phrase I had. I'm trying to recall. Um, it's uh, they are harmonious with one another, um, but um, uh, purposed differently, accomplish different things. Yeah, I like how you said like you know general revelation condemns where special revelation saves and like just as a I know this. Simplified. Yeah. That's a good way to remember. Yeah. This is part of my own personal view, but I believe like God is orchestrating all things to display um, his attributes um, through creation and through history and through the redemption of a particular people. And so um, he has purposed the creation, uh, 
uh, and the natural order um, to reveal those attributes um, in light of sin and he will display his mercy and grace uh, through the redemption of a particular people. So you would use that uh, general revelation continues, biblical revelation has ceased, yes. special revelation continues. Yes, yeah, because uh, special revelation still happens to people and people are still saved. Um, the Which of the three modes of special revelation? Is scripture? No, well, continue. Oh, the uh, continue? I'd say history still continues, but not in the same way. Not um, You could definitely have a historical event that's not in Scripture, that's in the future, that God uses to bring people to faith, but that event will not be necessary for salvation. Does that make sense? Like Jesus returning, that would be a historical one that keeps... <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah, or like uh, another tragedy befalls some nation somewhere, and a lot of people are like, man, Earth's pretty bad, I'm feeling pretty hopeless. And a revival occurs because people understand their weakness and their sinfulness and repent of that and receive the good news of salvation. God could definitely use circumstances in history, nations, all of this, to bring people to faith, but it will not be devoid of the special revelation specifically of the gospel, number one, but it could definitely contribute as special revelation, in my view, um, to some people being saved. And what separates historical events then from natural revelation? Historical events from natural revelation? Yeah, that's a good question. Some people who are closer to the proponents of my view obliterate the lines completely um, at least functionally speaking. Um, I would say it's hard to know um, whether or not it's a historical event. Or is it simply yeah. if it's rejected versus accepted? Yeah, I'm not sure because that... If it, it's going to lead yeah. to salvation, then it is a historical yeah. event, special revelation. If it is rejected, or if it doesn't lead to salvation, then it is a natural theology event? I would, I would, I would guess. I suppose um, my position is mainly that I'm not opposed to the possibility of a historical event helping someone repent and believe the gospel. But I couldn't say definitively whether or not it was special revelation without knowledge that's beyond my understanding. So I... The modes, because I got historical, I got divine speech. What was the Oh, yeah. I, I never got to it. and I never said it explicitly. It's the incarnation. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, the incarnation. It's the third mode. The primary mode. Um, I should have stated this right before I went to Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the chief mode of divine revelation, uh, the, the greatest one that we have, the fullest one to date, is the revelation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So as revealed in his acts, and his teachings, uh, his works, cross and resurrection. Um, that is the single greatest revelation that we have and the most essential to salvation is getting Jesus right. So, if I'm just reading the
and um, giving me general revelation. And I've still got walls up, I'm still resistant. Special revelation is what finally breaks through all of my resistance and lets me know yeah. what I need to do. Yeah. And it's at the moment that you possess faith through the preaching of that special revelation that uh, you are no longer uh, condemned. It's at that moment. That is the moment of salvation. Um, 